It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, April 13th, 2016. Normal week here, but if you haven't already voted for this year's Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, head over to FightingForTheFaith.com and vote while the uh, the apparatus is still up. We will be announcing the winner on Monday's episode, so just a reminder about that. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to... You know, open God's word. You heard of it? It's called the Bible. You read it, and we put passages back into context. You sound biblical hermeneutics, good exegesis in order to compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose, you know, curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says or if they're twisting God's Word, teaching false doctrine, really being creative and innovative and generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. Now, on Wednesdays, we uh, historically have had, on Wednesdays, our light episode of Fighting for the Faith. Today will be a normal light episode, although the topic isn't light. We've been listening to a series of lessons taught by Pastor Jeremy Rohde of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, as he has been working his way through the book of Ecclesiastes. Fascinating study. If you're into this idea that somehow Christianity is, uh, well, the equivalent of a fertility cult, you know, it's all about making one healthy, wealthy, wise, prosperous, and uh, all to the glory of Jesus so that uh, we can have our Gulfstream jets kind of thing. Well, yeah, no, that's not what Christianity teaches at all. So or if you believe that Christianity is all about experiencing a dream destiny thingy, that God's called you to change the world, no, that's not it either. In fact, uh, Pastor Jeremy Rohde's, um lessons have been, how shall we explain it, um, sobering is a good way to describe them. So we are up to the next installment. I think we're still in chapter 7. Here is Pastor Jeremy Rohde. So we're working our way through chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, and we're taking our time, which is good. Last week, uh, we looked really at verses 13 and sort of through 18. I want to recap those just real quick, re-go through those, because uh, it's important for the next verses that we're going to go through. So, if you recall, um, in verse 14, we have this wonderful anti-American Christianity statement. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider... God has made the one as well as the other. Okay? So, God is responsible not just for prosperity and the the good day, but God is also responsible for the day of adversity, for the troubles, for the trials. Now again, you would see this very thoroughly uh, spelled out in the book of Job, where Job's friends and advisors are trying to give him all the world's wisdom, all the old pious religious wisdom of how, no, God is good, and God doesn't do things like that. God doesn't afflict. God doesn't allow evil. He doesn't permit it. He doesn't actively bring it. And Job continues throughout the book to say otherwise. And in the end, Job is exonerated by God and said, he's right. All the other counselors and their counsel are in error. And then you see this also in uh, the complaint psalms, for example, um, where, uh, and Psalm 38 would be an ideal complaint psalm, where the, the psalmist, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is telling God, you're the cause of my suffering. 
You're the cause of my affliction. Um, Complaining, as it were, to God. Which strikes our ears as impious. Oh, we shouldn't complain. We shouldn't grumble. We don't want to be like ancient Israel. We don't... And yet, then you find the Psalms are full of this very thing. Okay, so, through suffering, God would also interact with us, not just through blessing. I'm going to butcher it, but to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, suffering is God's bullhorn to a deaf world. It's one of the ways that He wants to draw us into conversation with Him, even if that conversation is one of complaint, accusation, indictment, bitterness, God's big enough to handle it. Right? So He has made uh, the day of prosperity and also the day of adversity. And if we remember back um, to the earlier part of 7, for example, I'm looking at the first few verses where he says the day of death is better than the day of birth. It's better to go into the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Okay? Um, sorrow is better than laughter. If we take that context into account, then we understand that the day of prosperity be joyful. It's good. I mean, we're not saying it's not good. <laughs> we're not being uh, masochistic or... Um, ascetics about it. The day of prosperity is good. Enjoy it. Be joyful. We're going to see that come up in in, uh, the next chapters recurrently. But the day of adversity is for pondering, for considering. In fact, if we take those earlier verses, more can be gained from the day of adversity than from the day of prosperity. And that's one of the challenges of Ecclesiastes that it puts before us, um, that sorrow is better than laughter, adversity is better than prosperity. The struggle and the wrestle with God is better than not. Okay, then in verse 15, "...in my vain life I have seen everything." Okay. Now, With those words, you certainly sense some pessimism, (laughs) Um, but uh, also the acknowledgement of his theme that he stated at the beginning, the all is vanity, the all is meaningless. Now he says, in my meaningless life. But with that, there's also a confession, a penitence hidden there, where he says, in my vain life, in my meaningless life, all the things that King Solomon has accomplished, And what king in all of Israel accomplished more? All the things that Solomon accomplished, the building of the temple, the profiting of the empire, uh, Israel was basically the superpower of the world at that time. And the architect of all of that, the wisest man to ever have lived, says that his life is vain, meaningless. It's a confession not unlike St. Paul will make many years later when he says, I count it all rubbish for the surpassing glory that is Christ Jesus. Remember Paul? He lays out all his credentials. Went to the best school, studied under the best professor, uh, lived the life, walked the walk, talked the talk, done it all, and I count it all as rubbish for the exceeding and surpassing glory of Christ Jesus. One senses at least the first half of Paul's thought here when Solomon, who's achieved more than you and I will ever achieve, and he says, I count it all as vain and meaningless. There's a repentance there. There's an acknowledgement that there must be something more. Okay, in my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. There is fundamental injustice in the world and the way it works. And whose responsibility would it be to see to it that this injustice should never occur in the first place or at least should be remedied? God. So herein is an indictment, like we've seen before. 
verse 16, be not overly righteous. It should be embroidered on pillows and <laughs> framed on walls, you know, over the doorway. Be not overly righteous. <laughs> and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Now, we talked about the extreme example of that in the New Testament. Folks too wise for Christ. Right? Where the gospel, the cross, the idea that I need a Savior is foolishness to the Gentiles. That's us. So maybe that's one of our biggest temptations. Don't be too wise or too righteous for the one who is wisdom in human flesh, for the one who is our righteousness, Christ Jesus, right? That would be the ultimate direction these verses are going. Then, uh, on the other side, verse 17, be not overly wicked, which I also love. Should also be embroidered everywhere, you know, and put on motivational posters. Um, Be not overly wicked. A little bit, uh, just not overly. <laughs> oh, I never knew what fun I'd have teaching the Bible. Okay, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool, right? Neither be a fool. So there's like two ditches. There's two ditches. The one ditch is to be too righteous and too wise, and the other ditch is to be overly wicked and to be a fool. And Solomon's steering you down the middle road, okay? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Verse 18, it is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Okay? So grab a hold of this wisdom, grab a hold of this principle, this idea. Fear God, which is about the closest Ecclesiastes can get us. Okay? Fear God, um, and you'll be saved. You'll come out from both of them, both of those ditches. You'll miss them. That would be the ideal. All right. Next, we have three sort of, sort of connected, sort of disconnected little uh, chunks of wisdom, wisdom sayings. Verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Okay? Wisdom is better than military might. We've also seen earlier wisdom compared to money. Um, favorably compared to money, that just as money can protect you, so can wisdom. Just as ten rulers can protect you, can govern you, so can wisdom. Right? So obviously Solomon is teaching us here in, in these verses, and we've seen this theme, he's teaching us under the umbrella of everything, the all is vanity and meaningless. He's saying, so that doesn't mean live however you want. There's a better way to live. Okay, Wisdom here is preferable to foolishness. And yet, one more angle on it, don't fall into too much wisdom or too much foolishness, too much righteousness or too much wickedness, but steer the middle course. Now, none of that, though, goes against his overarching theme that whichever path you choose, even the middle one, it all results in meaninglessness, vanity, right? So even if you get it right and you're led right smack down the middle, all right, just the right amount righteous, just the right amount wicked, just the right amount wise, just the right amount foolish. I mean, you have to be foolish to do things like dance. And you have to, <laughs> and you have to, and you have to dance to get a girl. So see, you have to have a little foolishness in you. <laughs> If you're too wise, you'll sit like a stoic somewhere, and you know, then then your life's going to be miserable. And I think that that's, uh, yeah, he perishes in his righteousness. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll find it in here. So, yeah, don't be don't be overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Right? If you're too wise, you're never going to be foolish and dance. You're never going to get the girl. And you're going to destroy yourself sitting there in your grumpy wisdom. 
right? If you never consent to that one glass of wine that pushes you right up against the edge, well, you'll never know uh, what might have happened, you know? You've got to be a little foolish. You've got to be a little... Okay, I'm taking license with the text. Not thus saith the Lord, thus saith me. All right. So that's, that's the point Solomon's steering us down the middle ground. And we see, too, then, um, you know, to look at it, yeah, one more angle. You don't, don't give yourself, as Christians, we read this, and the wisdom is don't give yourself over to sin and a, and a manifest sinful, but don't give yourself over to pharisaicalism and legalism. You know, don't mistake Christianity, don't mistake wisdom for becoming a Pharisee or a legalist. Or thinking that the Christian life is all about you and your self-improvement and getting more righteous and more wise than everyone else. And have you noticed that? It's like some, some denominations in Christendom that I won't name, it's all about getting you more righteous, you know, transforming your life into a righteous life. And others, it's more about wisdom, getting you knowledgeable so that you're all systematic experts, right? So that you know the system of theology, you can out-argue anyone. All right, well, these are common pitfalls that uh, the wisdom of Solomon would steer us against. That's not the goal. Okay, so nonetheless, wisdom is good. That's verse 19. Then verse 20, which is also right in line with that verse 19, be not overly righteous. Here's the point, verse 20. Surely there's not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. So that gives a new nuance, which would be, uh, don't be too righteous in your own mind. Realize and recognize that there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Verse 21, this would be the third wisdom saying here. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Which is a great piece of wisdom. You know, it just is. So, you know, you, you, uh, you hear your wife muttering about you, you know, or your husband muttering about you in another part of the house. You know, instead of getting all up in arms and marching over them over there to give them what for, you can, according to Solomon, say in your heart, yeah, well, I've done the same thing to them. You know, I've muttered in my heart against plenty of people. They're muttering in their heart against me. Big deal. It's also a nice, uh, nice defense against gossip. You know, when you hear other people gossiping against you or talking about you or, you know, so-and-so was saying this about you. Well, I've said lots of things about lots of people, too. I'm not going to take it too seriously. I'm not going to get up in arms. So do not take to heart all the things that people say. Lest you hear your servant cursing you, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All right, well, there's three little random chunks of wisdom that sort of flow from that previous section and sort of not. And now we get on to the treacherous woman. But before we do... Are there any questions or comments? Okay. Anyone want to delay it so I don't have to do this so I can live another week? Because the messenger, the messenger gets shot when he teaches this section of Scripture. Oh, well. <coughs> Who wants to live forever? Okay, so verse 23... All this I have tested by wisdom. Now, the exegetical question is, what is this? Is he thinking back, or is he thinking forward, or is he thinking about the whole thing? Um, probably he's thinking forward. Probably what he's saying has to do with the next section, or sections. Okay. All of this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was... Far from me. Okay, so Solomon, the wisest man on the earth, is saying you can't just set out and decide, you know what, today I'm going to be wise. Right? And as if by royal decree, you are. doesn't work that way. He sets out to be wise, and in fact, he finds it far from him. Now again, what is he talking about? 
He's talking about what is coming next. <laughs> this specific attempt at being wise. Verse 24, That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? And that is a, a thought similar to verse 13. Consider the work of God who can make straight what He has made crooked. All right, we find ourselves in our attempt at wisdom to be impotent. In the same way we find ourselves in our abilities to be impotent to change what God has so ordered and ordained, we find ourselves impotent to find out wisdom that He has hidden from us. Okay. The wisdom is far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Okay, probably, uh, well, certainly autobiographical, but I'll tell you in what specific sense. Verse 25, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom. Okay, great. And the scheme of things, how it all works together, how it all fits. Great. And to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. Okay. That means that Solomon is going to pursue wisdom, right? But he's also going to pursue foolishness. He's going to pursue righteousness, but he's also going to pursue wickedness. That's what he means. And to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. In other words, he's saying, if I'm going to discover it all, if I'm going to tell you that wisdom is better than foolishness, I had better experience both. You know, especially foolishness with women for the sake of science. Right? Okay, and here's where it's here's where it's quite autobiographical because as Solomon's already hinted at, he's had plenty of women. Uh, what is it? I always get confused. Is it three hundred wives and seven hundred concubines? It's a thousand women. Maybe I've got it opposite. Maybe it's 700 wives and 300 concubines. I don't know. No, I think it's 300 wives. Who knows? If somebody knows, let me know. It's a thousand women. It's a thousand women. Okay. I don't know. With the with the early, <laughs> I don't know. One is enough for me. A thousand. No. Uh, <laughs> with the early church, you can try to explain everything in the kindest way and say, well. You know, the fathers in the Old Testament, they took multiple wives because they needed to multiply the earth or, you know, this reason or that reason or charity, bringing them under their household. You know, women couldn't work. It's a, you can explain it away all day. But a thousand? A thousand I, you can't piously explain away. All right? This is the pursuit of wickedness, of folly, and foolishness that is madness. All right? And Solomon knows it. That's what this section is about. He knows it. Okay. Oh, this is just so juicy. This is great. Okay, now we get to the, uh, the muse for blues songs and rock and roll songs and country western songs. It's all right here. Verse 26, And I find something more bitter than death. The woman. Period. No, 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 not, no, no. The, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. What an image. What an image. More bitter than death is the woman whose heart wants to trap you. Okay? and whose hands aren't really hands that gently hold your hand, right? Or serve you dinner, or massage your neck, or whatever it may be. Those hands instead are fetters. Iron locks that lock you up and imprison you. Or at least, that's what they seek to do. <coughs> well, I wasn't going to go down this tangent, but why not? We're on dangerous ground. Um, so, yeah.
Yeah, okay. If you go back to Genesis, okay, in Genesis 3 and 4, in God's curse, he says something fascinating. I'm in the minority view on this, so you can take it or leave it. At least I think I am. But I think there's something to it. Otherwise, I wouldn't waste your time. Okay, when you look at Genesis 3, look at verse 16. What he says to the woman. Now, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned. Okay? I will surely, Genesis 3.16, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now here's the interesting thing. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so many commentators that I've read, so many pastors I've heard are like, and this is why women are attracted to men even though they're pigs. Your desire shall be for your husband. Which strikes me as funny, but stupid. Is that what it's saying? Isn't the desire for a woman for a man and a man for a woman already written into creation, isn't that good? Why would that be part of a curse? Okay. Now, that Hebrew word for desire, the next place it shows up in the Scriptures isn't far away. If you look at the next chapter, chapter 4, right? Scripture interprets Scripture. Good exegesis says a human author is going to use the same word similarly, especially in the same context, less context clearly shows otherwise. Chapter 4, you've got this business with Cain and Abel, right? Okay. If you pick up with me at verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn his flock and of their fat portions, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Does that mean that sin has like this... Oh, it's just infatuated with Cain, and it just loves Cain. It wants to take Cain out on nice walks along the beach, and maybe for a candlelit dinner. No! Sin's desire for Cain is to do what? Enslave him. Enslave him. Clearly, that's what that means in chapter 4. Go back just a few verses to chapter 3. Your desire... Eve shall be for your husband. What desire? To enslave him, to control him. And he will go along willingly. No, he will fight you tooth and nail, and because he's more hard-hearted, more pig-headed, he'll end up ruling over you. It's the battle of the sexes, is frankly the curse. And that battle played out in marriage. All right, we're going to pause right there. We're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, the balance of today's lesson on the book of Ecclesiastes. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Drink up, be happy. 
Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. week already? Right, uh, package for you, ma'am. Just, uh, sign there. Oh, dear. I was expecting something a bit larger. Is that all there is? Uh, afraid so, ma'am. Uh, sorry to disappoint. Oh, <laughs> no worries. I'm sure more will be on the way. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, have a good day, ma'am. I wonder what's in here. Oh, I do hope I haven't been ordering chip pits in my sleep again. Oh, it's a DVD! Oh, this had better not be another one of those Lectio Divina thingies. Hello! If you are watching this, it means that you have purchased the post-apocalyptic preparedness package. You have bought the... Bronze Edition. Bronze Edition? Please don't be alarmed, as your full order will be arriving within the next few weeks. Next few weeks? The end of the world might have happened by then. I should have paid the extra $99.99 for the faster shipping. The purpose of this DVD is to catalog everything that you will be receiving in the... Bronze Edition. ...package, along with information on our other great offers. Looks like there are different chapters to select from. Let's see here. Toiletries, clothing, nourishment, shelter, sanitation, medicine, gardening, energy, communication, weaponry, underwater basket weaving... Okay, additional accessories, expansion packs, and ooh, play all. <laughs> I'll choose that one. As you know, God has given us signs in the sun, moon, and stars that the end times are approaching. After the destruction of your country, the everyday comforts you currently enjoy will have been disintegrated by God's judgment. By investing in our merchandise, you have proven to God that you have audacious faith in his prophets, seers, and visionaries. Now we're ready to dive into the crucial survival equipment you have purchased. Well, I'm certainly glad that God knows I'm faithful. No doom and gloom for me. You have purchased the... Bronze Edition. Please pay attention to which items you will be receiving. I have my new pad ready. Part 1. Toiletries. In the Bronze Edition, your toilet paper will be made from the finest scratchy banana leaves and corrugated tree bark. Toilet paper made from scratchy banana leaves and... Wait, what? In the Silver Edition... Your toilet paper will be made from all-natural, organic, recycled plastic. In the gold edition, your toilet paper will be made from hand-quilted spider silk. This can't be right! In the bronze edition, you will receive a block of wood with bristles and a baking soda solution for maintaining healthy teeth and gums. Here's a pro tip. You can use your own hair as dental floss. Yeah! In the silver edition, you will receive... Oh my! I sat on the remote! It's fast-forwarding! Um, uh, where's that darn play button? Oh, oh, wait, there it is! Part 5. Nourishment. In the bronze edition, you will receive 24 cans, each containing one month's supply of beans. As a nifty space saver, the cans are first filled with fresh river water, then topped off with dehydrated beans. This way, you'll have your food and water in the same convenient package. Strainers and can openers will not be included. The Silver Edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36-month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. The Silver Edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36-month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. What? How is that even fair? Gold Edition buyers will be given 50 crates of freeze-dried astronaut dinners. Flavors include chicken cordon bleu, lobster surprise, filet mignon, oysters, caviar, and steak. Cheese platters will be served on the side of every dish. Water will come in glass bottles along with a complimentary water fountain with color-changing LEDs. This is ridiculous! I can't believe I wasted my cat's life insurance on this! What else is in this stupid thing? Gold Edition shelters have been constructed by our teams ahead of time for you. You will be getting your maps and keys to access your top-secret bunker in the coming weeks. Complimentary bouncy castles and jacuzzis can be found next to the theater room behind the bowling alley. In the silver edition, you will get him and her matching gardening gloves. For prosperous crops, this edition includes an inflatable radiation-proof greenhouse. Part 33. Communication. Now pay attention, bronze buyers. 
Using two of your Space Saver nourishment cans, you can attach this six-foot string to each side to make an electricity-free telephone. As a special promotion, we will also be giving out 12-foot strings for long-distance calls. Gold Edition weaponry includes six holy hand grenades, one hideaway moat, and... I can't believe this! They didn't say anything about different editions on the website. How, how do I upgrade? I can't survive with any of the useless junk they're sending me. What are the shams of these sleaze balls running? I could have sworn she said something about expansion packs. Additional accessories, such as a Holy Ghost decoder ring or a church box CD, can be purchased individually for $24.99 each. Please wait for our full accessory list. Ah! I don't want to hear any more of this rubbish. Part 104. Expansion Packs. Our hottest item is the Mr. Sparkle Party Pack. This little number comes with four sparkle suits, one disco ball, seizure-inducing strobe lights, and confetti poppers. It's fun for the whole family. I want my money back. This is an absolute outrage. I can't believe I fell for this ruse. This concludes our DVD presentation. If you have any questions, please call the number not located at the bottom of your screen. And remember that all payments are non-refundable and non-negotiable. Thank you, and have a wonderful apocalypse. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith, good cause to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if you don't get this level of depth of biblical teaching. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. Well, an amount that you pick. That's right. There's four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate, $24.95 a month. Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, 
zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of today's lesson with Pastor Jeremy Rohde. Here we go. And we see then Solomon reflecting on this. If anyone's going to know, it's going to be Solomon. He's done this marriage thing a few times. Okay. And he's done about every other relation, you know, friends with benefits, uh, you know, concubine with benefits. What, he's tried everything under the sun, okay? He's way ahead of his time on this. All right, he's tried it all. And he finds something more bitter than death. The woman who is cursed, whose heart is snares, and whose hands are fetters. Now, Solomon going to let those women have their way? Not if he can help it. He's going to try to rule over them. Okay. So, uh, with these words, you know, Solomon probably incurs the wrath of a thousand women. I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, and all of his wives and concubines are probably going... Is he talking about me? <laughs> okay, now listen to the next line, the back half of part 26. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. I want to go back to that, but let's go forward for a minute. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher which if there isn't an odd line in all of Scripture, or a line more odd than this, I Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this I lo alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Okay? So, What's so ironic about that, of course, is he's reflecting on his experiences with the opposite sex, which, as we've covered, are manifold. All right? And he then calls himself the preacher, which is stark <laughs> and stunning. All right? And then he goes on to say, um, and I think this is some of the most fascinating lines in this book, he goes on to say, this is what I found while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly but I have not found. Okay? So, you know, if you're going to really hone in on a narrow context, you're going to what's what's he saying? I haven't figured out women. But if you broaden that a little bit, he's saying, I think, something much more profound. It's akin or to that introductory idea of the more you know, the more you realize you don't know anything. That wisdom itself is elusive and deceptive and wisdom comes with it almost this vacuous and unfulfilling character. The more you have, you realize the more impoverished you are. The more you find out, the more questions pop up. You know, you set out to solve one question, you end up with five others. That's the nature of wisdom. And I think what's so fascinating, again, if you look at this as a broader application, we have already said, he has already said, his thesis is the all is vanity, right? Well, the all is vanity except what? This book that he's written? This specific wisdom that he's delivering? You see, I think here he's letting us know that he is aware that even this wisdom, even this book, even this writing falls under the same sword that it uses, that it swings. Namely, that even this wisdom is vanity. That doesn't mean it's worthless. It just means at the end, you're left with a great big gaping, so what? Or, okay, that's really unfulfilling. <laughs> right? There has to be more to it. 
And I think Solomon's hinting at that, okay? And he's doing so in the context of this, here's a mystery that I can't plumb the depths of, that I can't figure out. And you know what? It's like that with all of wisdom. There is a futility. What got, Going back, you know, it was uh, deep, very deep. Who can find it out? And the answer is no one. What God has made crooked can't be made straight. What God has hidden can't be found out. God has made it beyond us so that even the wisest and the depths of wisdom don't get you there. Now to zoom back into the context of what he's talking about, women is like the, this, this woman is like the case study for him. You know, If I can't figure out her, if I can't figure out this, what can I figure out? What can I know? Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. All right, then he goes on to comment, one man among a thousand I have found. So how rare, notice the number too, how rare is a wise man? Solomon says one in a thousand. It's about right. One in a thousand. But a woman among all these I have not found. All who? He just mentioned a thousand. (laughs) Oh, did he get it. Unless this was at the end of his life when he had no need for any of them, you know. Um, That's one of the theories is that in the timeline of this thing, okay, you remember the the tragedy that befell Solomon is uh, not only did he have all these women sort of always the double entendre of the adulteress in Scripture, because not only was he lured by all these women, but all these women, or many of them, came from pagan nations and brought with them their pagan gods. And so in uniting himself with them in the flesh, he united himself with them in the spirit and ended up taking on their idolatry. And the Scriptures themselves tell us this. Now, one of the theories is that Solomon is written at the very end of his life, or excuse me, Ecclesiastes is written at the very end of Solomon's life when he's come to realize the great folly and mistake he made. And so here it's not just, you know, sour grapes. He's looking back at the foundation of his idolatry, the mystery that he fell into, what his wisdom couldn't dig him out of, and he's saying... I got lost and I didn't find a single woman. What I found here in my adultery and idolatry is a black hole. That's what I found. I found, uh, I have not found the answer. I have not found the wisdom. I have not found the way. One in a thousand men I've found, but among the thousand I've had, among all these, I have not found. See, this alone I found that God made man upright but they have sought out many schemes. In other words, as he goes searching for the wise man and the wise woman, he's lucky to find one in a thousand. Man, or God, made man upright, but man has sought out many schemes and thus has lost his and her wisdom. Okay, elsewhere, Solomon reflects much more deeply on this theology of the treacherous woman, the woman who's hands are shackles whose heart is nets. All right? Back in Proverbs, and in fact, in Proverbs, really, if you're going to do the whole thing, do Proverbs 1 through 9. All right? If you're going to do the Cliff's Notes edition, do Proverbs 7 through 9. If you would, turn with me there. I'll give you, I want to give you a taste of what he's talking about because then you'll see some of the... You know, Proverbs is written before Ecclesiastes, so you'll see some of the spiritual depth and nuance about what Solomon is really wrestling with and getting at. So again, let's go to Proverbs 7. And I just, as I've kind of turned back and done Psalms with you, or as I just did with Genesis, I want to just do a superficial thing. I want to just give you the gist of what it says. So look at Proverbs chapter 7, and you're going to meet the two women the woman who Solomon finds common everywhere and the woman who is rare, not even one in a thousand. 
chapter 7, verse 1, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, She is loud and wayward. We would say, ostentatious and flirtatious. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies in wait. She's everywhere. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, without shame, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. (coughs) So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till the morning. What does she say? I had to offer sacrifices today and I paid my vows. What does that mean? I just got back from church. But my bed is ready. She has the pretense, the show of righteousness, godliness. Yet it's skin deep. Come, let us take our fill of love in the morning. Verse 18, let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, later in the month, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. (laughs) Who is the predator and who is the prey? You see, the woman is the predator. She's the hunter. And this is much like Ecclesiastes, the woman whose heart is snares, which hunters, fowlers use to capture birds. And her hands are fetters used to capture and bind. You see, it's the same woman. She's common. She's everywhere. You know that song, I'm every woman, it's all in me? That should be the soundtrack for this. Okay. Come, let us take our fill of love in the morning, etc., etc. My husband's not home. Wink, wink. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. He follows her like an ox to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Gosh, this is poetic. Her house is the way to hell. Shale. (laughs) Death, the realm of the dead. Her house is the way to shale, going down to the chambers of death. But you'd never know it, because why? Her couch is covered with fine linens, Egyptian linens. It smells of perfume, myrrh, and cinnamon. And that's the gate to hell. Okay, so what's Solomon getting at, and what's my point in bringing this up in the context of Ecclesiastes? Solomon isn't just talking about an individual woman or even individual women. He's using the fallen woman as an icon of the seductive nature of sin. Physical adultery 
as the icon of unfaithfulness and idolatry, right? Forgetting that Yahweh, that God our Lord, is our husband and pursuing another. So you've got the woman who seduces man to destroy man. You could personify her and simply say she's sin. Right? She's sin. Now, thankfully, Proverbs is a tale of two women. <laughs> and in, verse, in chapter 8, you get the other woman, the good woman. Verse 1, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? I also love that wisdom calls after The sinful woman has had her way. Wisdom doesn't care because wisdom's gracious and merciful. On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Here, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Not seduction to evil, but truth and righteousness. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver. And my knowledge, rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Now that's the heart of Ecclesiastes. All that you desire, when you look under the sun and look at the world and look at everything it has to offer, it can't compare to this wisdom that's being spoken of here. Now if you have the study... Uh, Bible, the Lutheran Study Bible, you flip the page, and the next page you see is Christ as wisdom. Okay? So this is fun. It's a lot of fun. We know that Christ is wisdom. We know that Christ is the Word and wisdom who is made flesh for us. All right? And here in Proverbs, Christ would be personified in this wise woman who after sin has called and seduced and, and enslaved and destroyed... The wise woman calls, namely Christ, to have a holy, a wise, a righteous relationship for the man to be restored. Okay. So verse, or chapter 8 goes on to simply describe uh, in more detail this woman who in the final revelation is not a woman at all, but the He that is the divine Word made flesh, the He that is Jesus Christ our Savior. Um, just to end round this out, verse 17 of chapter 8 of Proverbs, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver, I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Ages ago I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Etc. Okay, so back into the theology of Ecclesiastes and back into the concrete discussion of the women that Solomon has run across. What is his point now when we've got this much broader concept and grasp? Going out into the world and finding a woman, concretely and individually, who is an icon of the adulteress is easy. She's everywhere. Finding a woman who is icon of that woman who is wisdom, that woman is rare. And that's what Solomon's saying. Not even one in a thousand. So, husbands, 
If you have a woman who at all and in any way embodies the wisdom and virtuous woman, then count yourself exceedingly blessed, more blessed even than Solomon, who had a thousand women, and not one of them could he say, she's icon of the wise. Right? All right, so that maybe gives us a little more context and understanding here to Solomon's words. And I hope you can see, too, that it's not, uh, he's not misogynistic. He's not really biased, even by our politically correct standards today. Uh, he's got a lot of deeper themes and thoughts interwoven into this section. At the end of it, it's important to realize that he doesn't have a high view of males either. Only one in a thousand, which isn't very good. Okay? And he lumps males and females together in verse 29 as if to say, look, it's not about you know who's better, males or females. Verse 29, see this that I found, God made man upright. That's what he did in the garden. But they have sought out many schemes. And the first of all those schemes, of course, was to eat the forbidden fruit, become like God, etc. And since then, our schemes have only multiplied. Right? Um, scheming to try to undo all the things that God has done. Okay, let's break there. We've only got a couple minutes left anyway. Are there questions or comments? Surely there must. If they're hateful, wait, save them up, write them in an email, send it to me. No, I don't mean, I hope I haven't offended anyone wrongly with this, with this uh, section. It's uh, perilous, obviously, especially in our overly political correct, politically correct milieu. Um, but nonetheless, I hope you can see what Solomon's getting at, these bigger things. So what you could say is that Faith Capo has been blessed abundantly with wonderful, wise women. That's exactly what I'm saying. I thought you were going to say that. Thank you. Thank you. That is on the record. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, the the church is a she. You have to be be able to think fluidly and, and, uh, you know... Not like, not like in the engineer mindset. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what the church is. The church is a wise woman. And the individual congregations are to embody and reflect that all the way down to the individual women there, you know. And then, of course, men are to, are to embody that, that same wisdom as well. Um, unfortunately, Solomon finds it lacking, and often we do too. Any other uh, thoughts, comments? Yes, Connie Schran. 700 wives. 700 wives, 300 concubines. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That was baffling me. Okay. Any other thoughts? All right, so if we have a concrete application for this existentially in your life, all right, um, and again, here you have to be able to think fluidly, almost genderlessly, and you have to you, you think to yourself, look, when I go about my business, when I go about my day, I'm going to hear the voice of the seductress, okay, seducing me to sin, telling me, look how wonderful it is, right? The bed has fine linens, it's perfumed. The way of sin is fun, it's easy, it's good, it's common, everyone does it, indulge. And so in your everyday concrete life, you come to recognize temptation to sin as being, on first glance, appealing, and yet you come to realize through wisdom that that appeal is simply the seduction of the seductress who means to do nothing more than, yeah, after you've had your fun, you belong to her. And that sin wraps itself around your heart with its snare, binds your arms with its fetters, and you're locked. And you're locked until one comes and sets you free. 
Christ who sets us free by breaking the fetters, loosing the snare, forgiving us our sins, freeing us from the, the entrapment of the seductress, the sinful woman. And then again, thinking genderlessly about it, all right, Christ then becomes that and is that wise woman to whom we are called all right, into holy union and holy matrimony, which is, again, reflective of all that language in the Old Testament of Yahweh as the husband of the people, as Christ being the bride, uh, excuse me, the groom who has come for the bridegroom, and even that last great image in the book of Revelation, the new Jerusalem is descending like a bride adorned for marriage. Because on the last day, the culmination of the new heavens and the new earth, everything beginning, it's the marriage feast of the Lamb, Christ, to His church. Wisdom makes itself one with us, marries us, and is consummated and fruitful in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, that's all I have. The Lord be with you. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>